Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. For those who are joining us in the room, for those who are joining online, uh, you need to know we really do miss you, and we'd love to see you back here soon uh, when you're able to be here. But love that we get to gather virtually, spiritually together uh, today, and would love for you, if you're online or in the room, to grab a Bible. Uh, if you brought a Bible, grab that, pull it out, and head to the end of your Bible and just go back a little bit to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible, pull it up on your phone. Uh, even if you don't have an app, you can go to the browser and just hit BibleGateway.com and head there. We always want you to know, Phoenix Bible Church, uh, God's Word is what you need to be looking at, not just listening to my word. And so as you take your Bible out at home and uh, settle the kids wherever they are and head to 1 John chapter 5. If you are new with us, uh, we're so glad you are here. Listen, this is a chaotic year. It's a confusing time. Uh, you could wonder, like, what step do I take? How, how do I navigate this life in 2020? Let me just tell you, you took a good step by coming to church today. Of all the things you could do, coming and connecting with God and his people, empowered by his spirit, that's a good idea, amen? Uh, that's something we can count on, a consistent thing that you can still have in your life. And so I'm glad that you are here. If you're new, if you're watching this and not even a believer in Jesus, man, we want you to know who Jesus is. You're going to hear a lot about Jesus and his love for you this morning. So glad you're tuning in for this. Glad you're here for this as we look at the book of First John. I want to start this way this morning. As you look at Christianity and you look at the gospel, there's different versions, different views people have of it. One uh, view that's really popular uh, that you often see on TV is something called the prosperity gospel. Anybody heard of the prosperity gospel? Okay, it's, I don't know how they're still in business in 2020, uh, because they're all about health, wealth, and prosperity should happen to the believer in Jesus, and you should never really experience suffering or pain. Again, I don't know how they're still in business, because just with online school, as a dad of three kids, you experience some suffering and pain, right? Uh, with COVID and, and racial divides and, and quarantining and economic downturn, we experience some, some pain, but somehow they, they do stay in business and they promote this idea of, hey, well, if you just believe in God, and if you just have increased faith, that you will experience health and wealth and prosperity and no suffering at all. So that's one view of the gospel. Another view, because we can go to the flip side of that, and we often do at times, is the gloomy gospel, right? Prosperity gospel, a lot of people use that term. I just made up gloomy gospel, to be honest with you guys. But gloomy gospel, and I see it all the time, it kind of maybe as a reaction to the prosperity gospel, we think we just, we suffer for Jesus. I mean, we just carry our cross. I mean, it's just, Christian life is hard, and you're just like, you're so joyful as a person. And maybe you're at church, and you kind of have a smile on your face, and somebody's like, get that smile off your face. Is this church? supposed to be serious, and even heroes of the faith, for me, can be guilty of this at times. They can do in the uh, later years of their life, like one of my heroes of the faith did a podcast on, should Christians have pets? That's the gloomy gospel, amen? You can have a pet, right? Bring more joy in your life. We're going to get a puppy for Christmas in my family, so you can have a pet. Uh, we don't have to go to the, the prosperity gospel, but we also don't have to go to the gloomy gospel. You see, as you look at scripture, here's the reality. We have an overcoming gospel. See, there is suffering, and there is pain, and there is divide, and there is tension, and it's not just out there. It's in here, the Bible tells us, and it addresses that head on. We have suffering. I don't need to preach that to you because you're in 2020, but the Bible does preach that to you. It recognizes trouble. 
But it also recognizes, John 16, we go to the source. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. But also, take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That we have an overcoming gospel. One that recognizes there's trouble. Listen, there is trouble. There's real tensions we all face right now in this room. But you can know today, Jesus has overcome the world. And through him, we can be overcomers as well. So uh, does anybody want that? Anybody want to overcome? Yeah, it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to want to overcome. It's okay to not want to, to continue in racial divide. It's okay to not want to continue to suffer. It's okay to want COVID-19 to be defeated, right? As my daughter has up on a glowing sign in her room <laughs> where she situated the letters, we, we all want to overcome. How do we do it? John's going to tell us. Look at 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1 with me. If you take notes, the sermon title today is Overcoming Love. John chapter five, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that, the love, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone, here it is, who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes, has faith in? Jesus is the Son of God. So our first point, again, if you take notes, how do we overcome? It's with real faith, real faith. The key to overcoming, John says it in verse four, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, it is our faith. Now we have to clarify This isn't just some initial come to the altar, hey, let me see that hand, say a prayer, faith. What John is talking about when the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about a consistent, abiding, ongoing, reliant faith in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of faith he's talking about because we have to make that distinction, right? Because some of us have participated in a ritual but not practiced real faith. Some of you know people like that, and specifically in this season of suffering and confusion, some of those people who raised their hand in church one Sunday or prayed a prayer at camp one time, they've abandoned the faith because they were just participating in a ritual, not practicing real faith. John's talking about practicing real faith. We see this uh, in a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory of the Christian life. I'd recommend it to you. It's a great book. And it talks about this guy named Christian who's searching after God, following after God, and he has a friend who's appropriately named Pliable. If you know the meaning of the word pliable, the character is named Pliable for a reason. It's because he bends easily. The one pliable Christian's neighbor in Pilgrim's Progress goes on this journey with Christian to follow God. As soon as they experience hardship, pliable goes home. And some of you know people like that. And some of you are experiencing a temptation to do that right now. And you need to lean on, have real faith in Jesus. I didn't just participate in a ritual. God, through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his Holy Spirit has changed my life. And I can't abandon it. I can't go back. This is part of how we overcome. So we have real faith. John describes more of that real faith. First of all, it's a family faith. Look at verse one with me. 
He says it's a belief that needs, leads to a new birth. He says whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the promised one, God sent his son Jesus to be savior and king, to usher in a new kingdom. He is the Christ, and that's what it all hinges on. Some of you, you think, well, Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is my homeboy. I like all that, but, but John says, no, Jesus is the Christ. Earlier in the book, he says there are anti-what? Christ's. Not anti-good teacher, not anti-miracle worker. There were people in John's day, there were people in our day who, Jesus is great. A great example. Oh, yeah, he pulled all the little kids around him. Great. We need more of that in 2020, more of that kind of loving example. And they love that kind of Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus is the Christ. And John says, that is the dividing line for real faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Because that belief will lead to a new birth. Notice he says, you're born of God. In the Gospel of John, same author, the, the narrative about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, John over and over says, born again, born again. Jesus with Nicodemus. He says, hey, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again, born all over again. Right? And John loves this imagery. The Bible loves this imagery. Why? Because it communicates two essential pieces of our faith. One is, you believe in Jesus, you get a new start. It's like being born again. Amen? I mean, that's what's so amazing about becoming a Christian, is you get this new start. The Bible says you're a new creation, right? So that's part of it, but it's not just this individualistic thing like, I have a new start, it's a new year, new me. No, you're, you're born like a kid. You're born and you have a father, but you also have a brother and sister, you also have the church. You have the love of God, and you have the love of God's people. And he's saying, this is what real faith looks like. It's not isolated faith. It's not just me and Jesus. It's you and Jesus with Jesus' people coming together. And he even says in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. What you notice in the book of 1 John is it's always paired together. Love God, love people. Love his children, you love God. It's always tied together. You can't separate the two. It's a package deal. Like I've said it this way before, I have three kids. And if you were to say to me, hey, Tim, I love you. I mean, you're my pastor. Let's hang out. Let's get coffee. Let's watch the Cowboys game together because we just want to be miserable. I don't know why. It's a miserable season for a Cowboys fan, but like, let's hang out, Tim. Like, let's get together. I really want to hang out with you. But your three kids, can you leave them at home? Or maybe we have people over for Thanksgiving every year that don't have any place to go in Phoenix, don't have family here. And when people come over to my house for Thanksgiving, be like, oh, we're so excited about Thanksgiving again this year. Like, all the meal, the fellowship, the game night, all that stuff. But can you just, can you find a place for your kids to go? Now, are we hanging out? No. Why? Because if you love me, you love my kids. They're sweet. How could you not? You love me. You love my kids. That's how it works. So much so that the John equates, hey, sometimes we wonder, like, what's the love of God like? It seems mystical. Love God. Just love God more. What does it look like? John says, it looks like loving his kids. 
That that's exactly how we love God. That's why as we start this Advent series, as we go into the Christmas season, we're gonna love God's kids. We're gonna adopt group homes. Cynthia talked about it, if you missed it at the beginning, with our Advent series, Unexpected Hope. Along the way, we're gonna adopt group homes and invite you as community groups and people just in the church to say, hey, hey can we partner up and help adopt this group home? And we're gonna love on God's kids. And that's exactly how we love God. I experienced this uh, a couple years ago. My son, who was in preschool, uh, had a grandparents' day at his school. And we parachuted into Phoenix six and a half years ago now. All of my family, my wife's family is in Texas. And so grandparent day at school, we don't have grandparents on a Tuesday to sing with my son. So what do we do? We asked Mr. Dave, who's here with us this morning, who does not look like a grandpa, who has a six-pack, come on, who's 35 years old. He's not a grandpa, but we're just like, it's grandparents' day. We gotta, we gotta show up here. And so we asked Mr. Dave, will you be the grandparent? And so here's what it looked like. Mr. Dave had to sacrifice a little bit for my kid, to love my kid. He had to take off work, I think, for a couple hours, uh, travel across Phoenix, go to my kid's school. He had to be around a lot of other grandparents as a 35-year-old and be asked the weird questions. I assume, like, Okay, so how, how early did you have kids and trying to calculate? He had to go through some sacrifice. If you're going to love God's people, you're going to have to go through some sacrifice. Some of us, we think like, well, I don't really like church. It's a bunch of hypocrites. I don't really like people, kind of messy. It's hard. It takes sacrifice. But guess what? When Dave sacrificed to love my son that day, he also loved me. Because when my son came home that day, he wasn't like, oh, grandparents' day. Like, I don't have grandparents crying. Like, I don't know what to do. No, he was like, yeah, I had Grandpa Dave. And he was so proud. He was beaming with joy. Right? And how do you think that made me feel as his father? I had some joy, too. I wasn't even there. I didn't get to experience Grandpa Dave. But I experienced the love because he loved my kids, therefore he loved me. Can you imagine? God is our father. Scripture could have picked any other imagery for God. He picks father. As we love God's kids, God fills our love as the father. That's how it works. We love people. We love God. It's a package deal. They are tied together. So much so, and John makes this clear over and over and over, 40 plus times he mentions love in the book of 1 John. Five times he calls us the beloved. Nine times we're called children. John is a grandpa. He's giving a fatherly infection through the whole book. He's trying to nail down this truth that it is a spiritual impossibility for you to say you love God but not love his kids. They're connected. It's a package deal. This is real faith. It's a family faith. Do you know that kind of faith? I think all of us are struggling right now in some way, shape, or form, economically, emotionally, relationally. All of us are struggling, but the people that I meet who aren't just struggling but who are in flat-out despair, those people typically have abandoned the family of faith. And listen, it's, I know it's hard. Some of you are watching online right now. It's hard to show up in this room. It's like, should I or should I not? I'm going home for Thanksgiving. Should I be around people or should I not? COVID cases are rising. It's a wrestle every time. I experience the same thing. I get it's hard, but you gotta figure it out some way. 
You don't have to come in this room for church at Sunday or 9.30 or 11, but you gotta be around the family of God. Real faith is tied together. Love for God is tied together with love for people. And the people I talk to, I'm so heartbroken for them because they say things like, you know what, God, hasn't just, God just hasn't been on my radar recently. I don't even know if, I, if I'm still jiving with this Jesus thing. I don't even know if I'm going to stick with my church. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you went to church? I can't remember. Are you at least watching online? Yeah, maybe once a month. Like, of course. We talked about earlier. Satan breathes lies over your life every day and deception. And it's called deception because you think it's true. And you start to think, and all of this struggle, all of this strife, all of this division, maybe there isn't a God. Maybe these people don't like me anymore. Maybe they weren't genuine. Maybe nobody's called me in a while. And you start to go down their slippery slope, and you start to go down a slope to despair. And it's because we've left the family of faith. There is insanity in isolation. Some of you maybe have experienced that, so that's why you're here today. Some of you, you're calling up somebody, you're at home, and you're like, I can't come to church, but I'm going to do FaceTime. Listen, you need to find a way to experience the familial faith. This is real faith. This is what allows us to overcome. This is how it happens. Do you have that in your life? At home, do you have that? And here, do you have people in your life that you can give love to and receive love from? That's how we overcome in life. But it's not just family faith. It's also functional faith, that real faith isn't just acknowledgement, it's action. Verse three, look at that verse with me. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. It says his commandments are not burdensome. Here's why. Because once you realize everything I've just tried to tell you, that the God of the universe, it's crazy, is like a father, and you're like his kid. And he loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. He loves you right now in this moment. He loves you. That as you start there with the love that God, God the Father has for you, as you receive that love, as you love him back, naturally you start to love what he loves. You start to do the things he tells you to do because you, you trust him as a father. It's no longer religion. It's a relationship. That's an important distinction. Jesus made it in Matthew 23, 4. He said this. He said, all the rules and regulations of the scribes and Pharisees were as heavy burdens. In contrast, Jesus says of himself in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, my yoke is easy. My burden is not heavy. It's light. It's like the difference between like on Memorial Day, uh, my wife and I did the Murph. Anybody done the Murph? It's like this thing that's named after a soldier who's like 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, and 300 squats, and all these different things, and you're supposed to do the Murph with a 20-pound vest on, just because you like suffering and pain, okay? So we somehow did the Murph, but we didn't do the 20-pound vest. And I had a friend of mine who's a CrossFit guy, I mean, just, you know, those kind of guys, and uh, he's like, oh, you didn't even count if you don't do the 20-pound vest. I'm like, really, bro, come on, I'm just... I'm excited that I completed this thing, right? But that's like what religion is, is when you're like, hey, I'm, try I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to follow, I'm trying to love my spouse. I'm trying to, God's kids, yes, they are messy. People are frustrating. I'm trying to do all those things, and somebody says, are you doing it perfectly? 20-pound vest. Oh, did you read your Bible today? 20-pound vest. 
You're like, I'm, I'm already like running in sand and you're just putting the weight on me. That's, that's religion. Oh yeah, if you screw up, you're going to hell. Did, did I mention that? That's religion. God says, no, 1 John 4, we love God because he first loved us. We're not motivated by fear. Perfect love casts out fear, amen? And so we don't operate in religion. We operate in relationship. And so as we love God because he loves us, we start to love what he loves. Therefore, it's not burdensome. You can take the 20-pound vest off, right? That's the way it works. But it's as we participate, it's as we walk out this love. The theme of our church, the tagline that we say over and over is what? Love moves. Love moves. It always does. It never stands still. It moves. You participate in this faith. You begin to obey what God has given you to obey. And it's not burdensome because he loves you as a father. Do you have this kind of functional family, real faith? This is how you overcome. This is what it looks like. Some of you right now, you need to stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus. Some of you have gone through your whole life, gone through the motions, gone through some rituals. You raised the hand. You're thinking to him, yeah, that was me. But now life is hard, and if you're honest, you don't have real family functional faith, and you need to stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus and give your life to him. He wants to know you. He wants you to overcome. But it can only happen with real faith. Some of you need to take that step today. Second thing is we overcome with reliable faith. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, John says this. This is he, that's Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, some of you were tracking with me with love God, love people, real faith, but I just lost you. (laughs) You're like, testify, water, blood, spirit, what is going on here? I'm gonna try to break this down really briefly for you, okay? First thing is we see this word testify. You see that word? Testify means literally to give evidence, an account of truth. What you should picture is a courtroom. John says that there's three who testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. We're gonna talk about each one of those, right? They are testifying. What are they doing? They're giving evidence about who Jesus is. They're giving an account. And again, as you picture a courtroom, verse eight, he says, these three agree. So it would be like in a courtroom, one witness comes in and says, I believe this, this happened, and they give an account, they give evidence. And then another person comes in separately but gives the same evidence, gives the same account. The third person, same account. And all three witnesses, all three evidences match up perfectly. It's a testimony that's true by three different witnesses. You got that? Okay, so here's the three different witnesses. It's the spirit, it's the water, it's the blood. The spirit, this is the one a lot of us agree on. Verse six, it says the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. The gospel of John, he says it this way in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness about me. Notice what he says in John 15, 26. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father, God the Father, and he bears witness about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's God. 
At the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God descends like a dove and proclaims, this is my son in who I am well pleased, that Jesus is God. And the Holy Spirit, he's giving a witness in a courtroom. This is who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's testifying who Jesus is, and he's saying, Jesus is God. You got that one? Okay, that's the easy one. Let's move on to the hard one, the water. People think, well, what's the water? Scholars, commentaries debate this. Is it, is it his birth? Like there's a lot of water at birth. Is it his baptism? Jesus was baptized, as I just mentioned. What is it? Here's what I would say. It could be either. I think both of them are trying to show us Jesus is our example. Right? The Holy Spirit brings a testimony saying what? Jesus is God. You can talk back. It's okay. Jesus is God, right? Holy Spirit testifies. The water testifies, Jesus is our example. Jesus is not some mystical force out there. Jesus was God who became a man. And not just a man, but a baby. Listen, how every one of you came into the earth as well. He's our example. We can relate to him, right? He was born of water. He's our example. But he was also baptized, He was baptized, not because he needed to be baptized. Jesus was perfect without sin, but he's baptized. Why? To be our example, right? A couple years ago, my daughter got baptized up in these waters behind here. I hope we can do baptisms again one day soon. It's this amazing thing where we celebrate the internal work Jesus has done in us. We celebrate that externally. We proclaim that Jesus is God. And he came into this world to save sinners like me. And so Jesus gets baptized. Why? Because it's that eyewitness, it's that testimony that Jesus is our example. We follow him. We can look at his life. We can look at his overcoming temptation, his family who didn't believe in him, religious people who tried to discredit him. Even in his death, we can look at him and see how Jesus overcame as our example, and we can follow suit. So John says, hey, we have these testimonies. It's the Spirit of God proclaiming Jesus is God. It's the water, birth or baptism. Jesus is our example. And lastly, it's the blood. This is one that, again, a lot of us agree on, that the blood is an eyewitness. It's a giving evidence about who Jesus is, that Jesus is our sacrifice. See, many times in church we'll rattle off like, Jesus died for your sins, right? But we don't often talk about the blood. And in fact, sometimes people say, like, what is it with all the blood? Like a Good Friday service, why so, why so doom and gloom? Why so bloody? It's because you and I are sinful, and we serve a holy God, and we needed a, a perfect sacrifice to bridge that gap. And so there had to be blood. And Jesus gave his blood, not just on the cross for hours, not just being beaten and bloodied, but even in the garden. Do you remember this? Jesus is praying to God the Father before he goes to the cross, and he's sweating blood. That Jesus gave his blood for you and for me. We sang about it earlier. It washes us clean of sin. It's his blood, his sacrifice in our place. So Jesus is God. Jesus is our example, but Jesus is our substitute. He takes your sin, and he gives you his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. It's why we sing with mask on. It is the crux of our faith. And what John is saying is here's how you overcome. It's not just some pithy, trite faith, blind faith. Hey, just take this leap. 
hey, I know everything's hard, but the best is yet to come. That's not our faith. That's not how you overcome. You have an eyewitness. You have a testimony of faith from the Holy Spirit of God, from the water, from the blood. And these three testimonies, they all agree. They all say the same thing. And you can trust in Jesus. And John's saying you can overcome in life because you have this trust in this faith in Jesus. It's a real faith. It's a reliable faith. Do you have that kind of faith? As you look to overcome suffering in life, are you leaning into this faith? Or have you kind of distanced yourself from that faith? Are you kind of frustrated with God and just, maybe God doesn't have my best interest in mind. Maybe he isn't my father. Maybe this is all a sham. Anybody thought that? Are you leaning into, John's calling you to lean into the real faith and the reliable faith in Jesus Christ. We have what John says at the beginning of of 1 John. We have a verifiable, historical, accessible Jesus Christ. Remember how John started the whole book? He didn't even give a greeting. He just jumped right in and said, that which is from the beginning, that which we have seen and heard and looked upon, we've investigated, this is Jesus And less like a letter, the book of 1 John is like a sermon. He wants you to know him. He wants you to look upon him. He wants you to investigate him. Have you done that? You have a real faith. You have a reliable faith that has been tested more than just 2020, right? I was looking outside of this building, and it said the, uh, the, the church was founded in the late 1800s, and this building was erected in 1953, So there was a church, the church is the people of God empowered by the Spirit of God, yeah? Not just meeting in this building, but since the late 1800s, a church was gathering to worship Jesus, to follow him. In 1953, they built this building, but I don't know where they were meeting before this, but they were meeting in all kinds of different places, and they were worshiping God, and guess what they went through? Some suffering. You know the Spanish flu? Anybody hearing about the Spanish flu in 1918? It's a popular thing that we're going back to now. Those people that were part of this church, they went through that. They overcame that. They suffered, but they still worshiped Jesus. They overcame. They went through World War I and World War II and the Korean War and the civil rights movement and racism and all these things. And they went through that and they overcame it. 2020 is not the first obstacle. It's not the first adversity. You have a Jesus Christ who has overcome everything in life. He's even overcome death. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us death has been swallowed up in victory through the resurrection. And he's seen his people overcome things as well because of his overcoming life. You have a real faith and a real Jesus, a reliable Jesus who has been tested over and over and his people have been tested and they're still holding up. Why? Because Jesus is true and we can trust him. You need to know that this morning. Last thing, we don't just have a real faith. We don't just have a reliable faith. We have a reproducing faith. Look at verse nine with me. Verse nine, it says this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. That's gonna be important. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life 
and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Verse 10, he says, hey, this testimony, all these people agreed. Holy Spirit, water, blood, they all came in the courtroom, said the same things. Now that testimony that says this is who Jesus is, he's God, he's our example, he's our substitute. Now this testimony, it's in you. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. His life, his eternal life, whoever has the Son has life. His eternal life, the overcoming life of Jesus Christ, the one who overcame every temptation and was without sin, the one who overcame his family. Some of y'all need to hear that this week. Jesus overcame his family. Jesus overcame the religious people who tried to discredit him. Jesus even overcame the grave through the resurrection. That overcoming life of Jesus, John says, now lives in you. That's your testimony. What God has done in you is now being reproduced through you. That's why God has you here. Some of you are wondering, what's the point of all this stuff? I mean, I do interact with people, and they have kind of disengaged from their faith. I mean, I am talking to my friends, and they're super deflated and in despair. Like, why are we, what is going on in 2020? God's placed you there to bring hope to bring the love of God, the faith of God that he has planted in you, even through adversity, and for you now to be the fourth testimony who proclaims the overcoming Jesus, even in 2020. That's why we're here. That's why I'm so fired up. Even though things are discouraging, even though there's despair, I feel that. But I serve a Jesus who has overcome even death. Death has been swallowed up. These pictures swallowed up in victory. Do you know this Jesus? Over and over, John's trying to proclaim this. He's preaching a sermon. He's not writing a letter because he wants you to, to have real faith, reliable faith, reproducing faith. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? John says there's no middle ground. Right, do you notice just in this passage, he says there's lie and then there's truth. There's life and then there's not life. Earlier in the book, he says there's light and there's darkness. He calls us at one point children of God or either children of the devil. There's no middle ground. There's no, I grew up in church. There's no, well, I, yeah, I kind of like Jesus. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, there's some hope there. No, you believe that Jesus is God. He's the example. He's the substitute. You have a real faith or you have nothing. And this is how we overcome. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? This is how you will overcome. The life of Jesus, the overcoming life of Jesus, now living in you, testifying to other people through you, yeah, you, about who Jesus is. If you do know Jesus, what's the testimony about Jesus saying right now that you're living? Is it saying, is it the defeating, gloomy gospel? Like, yeah, well, this is what we get for sin. <laughs> it's all gonna burn. Yeah, don't you love those Christians? So encouraging right now. Is that you? Or are you just prosperity? Like, no, it's, it's best is yet to come. I know it's hard now, but the dawning of a new day, it's upon us. I don't like those people either. <laughs> it's not helpful. 
What do we need? We need an overcoming gospel. Is that the Jesus? Is that the gospel that you testify about? That is the Jesus you have. Is it the one you're testifying about? Is it clear to those people around you? Is it clear? God has overcome the grave. We can recognize the reality of suffering, but also celebrate the glorious reality of Jesus' overcoming. That's why we're here. That's our charge. And you don't have to have the Bible memorized to do that. You don't have to do everything right in order to testify about the overcoming Jesus. You need to let Jesus live in and through you. That's the opportunity we have this morning. I know for me, every part of my life where I experienced suffering and I saw Jesus, even in the last minute when it didn't seem like it was gonna happen, and I saw Jesus overcome, as I felt the love of his family, as I gave love to other people in his family, as I I experienced this real faith, this reliable faith, this reproducing faith, that is how God grew me. That's how God matured me in ways that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't experienced those trials. We have an overcoming gospel, and it's a glorious gospel, and it's what I invite you to believe in, receive today, and to walk in. That's the invitation before us this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that we have an overcoming gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can stand here today and acknowledge suffering, but we can also celebrate a savior who came in, who entered the fray to bring rescue and to help us overcome. And God, I just gotta believe today there's some people in this room, there's some people watching online who are experiencing suffering, emotionally, economically, relationally, spiritually. Maybe as I talked about some abandoning the family of faith and being disconnected or uh, abandoning the idea that you're our father, forgetting that, And I know that some of us have felt like that. That's a real thing. So God, I pray for those people right now in this moment that you would help them to know that you're a perfect father who loves them right where they are. And you have empowered your people with the spirit, the overcoming spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so that we might love one another, so that we might bond together during a season of suffering, that we might not just overcome individually, but overcome collectively. That's the beauty of the church, God. So God, we we pray that as we sing about Jesus, that all of us in here, that even those who are watching by the pool (laughs) or watching in our living room, that we could sing out as a declaration that in Christ alone, we stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand because we trust in you and we are overcomers in your name, Jesus. We declare that. We rejoice in that truth today. It's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.